0: If you want to look to Romans chapter 5, that is on page 942 in the Pew Bible. We'll read that in just a minute. But I wanted to add just a little line to that poem of my own as I think about Romans chapter 5 and where we're going with the sermon. And that is, there is a world under a curse if Christ they knew that curse reversed. There is a world under a curse if Christ they knew that curse reversed. That summarizes well for us what we'll be looking at today as we move from Christmas sentiment to Christmas significance by studying joy to the world. We are looking at this song, trying to understand the theology behind this well-known song, behind this often sung song. And we want to understand what was Isaac Watts, the author, getting at when he wrote this song. And so today we're going to verse 3, which says, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as... Sing it. (laughs) You sound much better when Ben leads you, so thank you, Ben. (laughs) Appreciate your leadership. Uh, But what was Isaac Watts getting at when he wrote that verse? I mean, it sounds wonderful, doesn't it? He comes to make his blessings flow. No more let sin and sorrows grow. But we experience much sin and much sorrow, do we not? In our day-to-day life, in the world, as we look around, there's famines, there's droughts, there's hurricanes, the earth is crying out, the earth is groaning, as we talked about last week, for redemption, and then us as human beings created in the image of God, we are broken, we are fallen, we are far too familiar with sin, and it seems that the blessings that God has come to give us in Jesus Christ are sometimes far off. And yet we sing this song, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. What is meant by that? What was Isaac Watts getting at? And I believe Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 has a a picture for us of what he was getting at. So I'm going to ask if you stand as I read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 on page 942 in the Pew Bible. The Apostle Paul writes... But the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you make this word stir in us this morning? Would you help us to comprehend its truths? and to apply its wisdom. Lord, we believe that this is the word of God preserved for us through the ages, and so we ask that you would use it to sanctify us, to save us, to remind us of our justification through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue to make us new. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. So that was a lot of text, and there is a lot of theology in that passage. I'm going to summarize it for us with the big idea. Here's my summary of this passage. The first Adam brought curse and condemnation. The first Adam. He was named Adam. We read about him in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. He brought curse and condemnation. But Jesus, he's known as the second Adam. He reverses the curse and offers us justification. So Adam, as the as the figurehead, as the federal head for all of humanity, as that first Adam sinned when tempted, he brought curse and condemnation upon us all. And Jesus is known as the second Adam, the, the new federal head for humanity, the people who would place their faith in him. He comes to reverse the curse and to break it and offer us instead of condemnation, he offers us justification. This passage, as well as those listed on the bottom of your bullets, and teach us that Jesus is the true and better Adam, the second Adam who restores life. You, you probably heard us sing about it in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface, or remove, erase, get rid of. Adam's likeness, the first Adam, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Stamp thine image in his place. That's what we need. As, as the human race, we have a federal head, a figurehead, Adam, who we all descend from, who brought upon us curse and condemnation. And so, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it it was written by Charles Wesley, another hymn writer hundreds of years ago, saying, God, would you remove the stain? Would you remove the guilt? Would you remove the condemnation that the first Adam brought to all of mankind? And would you, Jesus, the second Adam, come and break that curse and release me from the condemnation that I am under? And so this morning, as we look at Romans chapter 5 here, what I want to do is just make five comparisons between the first and the second Adam. Some of them are very tied into this text. And a few others, you have to do some work in the text down at the bottom of your bulletin to see where it comes from. So we're going to do kind of a big overview of Scripture here for the first two points. And then we'll dig a little bit more into Romans chapter 5. But let's make a comparison between the first Adam, Adam, and the second Adam, Jesus. This is profoundly important for us as we approach Christmas. As we sing verse 3 of joy to the world, far as the curse is found, as we sing the often forgotten and ignored verse of hark the herald angel sing, Adam's likeness, lordy face, stamp thine image in his place. As we remember the coming of Christ and his miraculous birth, there's deep theology to help us to move into a significant worship experience during Christmas time. And, And much of it is wrapped up in the first and the second Adam. So let's Make a comparison. The first comparison is the first Adam and the second Adam both had a miraculous birth. The first Adam, he was, formed by, he was formed by ground and breath. So if you go into Genesis 1 and 2, you see that Adam was formed by the dust of the ground. God formed a man out of the ground and he breathed his breath of life into that man. That's where Adam came from. That's how Adam was born. And Adam was born... In God's image, Genesis 1 and 2 tell us that he was born in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. So that's how Adam came to be. He is the first representative head of all humanity. God breathed into dirt his life and formed a man who would be the representative figurehead for all of mankind. So Adam looked similar to us. Maybe not Scandinavian whiter skin because he was not from this part of the world or from northern Europe. He was from northern Africa and the Middle East. But he looked like a human being. He had human features. He had human characteristics. He was a human being created in the image of God as a relational being, as an emotional being, as a rational being, as a human body. He was born by the ground and the breath in the image of God. Now, what about Jesus? Jesus also has a miraculous birth, which we often think about at Christmas time. And Jesus was born from a womb and the Spirit. We read it this morning in our Advent reading that, that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and caused her to be impregnated. So, the womb and the Spirit, no man involved in this equation. Joseph was not involved in this equation. And this is why the virgin birth is so important. Because it is humanity. It's humanity meeting divinity. It's Mary, a human being in the line of Adam, inheriting a sin nature. We believe Mary was a sinner by nature and choice because she was a human being who inherited Adam's nature, which we just read about condemns us all. So Mary inherited a sin nature and Jesus came. He was born of woman and Holy Spirit. So where the first Adam was the dust of the ground and the breath of God Ruach was the word in Hebrew, the dust of the ground and ruach, the breath or the spirit of God. Jesus was born by womb, by by woman in her womb and the spirit, the pneuma, the breath, the spirit of God. And so Jesus comes reestablishing humanity, giving us a true picture of what humanity should have looked like without sin. Adam had it for a while until he disobeyed. And we'll get into that in just a minute But the key difference between the first Adam and the second Adam is that while the first Adam is born in God's image, the second Adam was born as God's image. Jesus, it says, is the image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tell us that Jesus came as the very image of God, as God in flesh. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he was God and, and he put aside his divine nature so that he could embrace full humanity. So Adam is born in the image of God. Jesus is born as the image of God, as God himself. He comes to reestablish, to restore, to give us a new humanity to follow. He comes to show us what Adam should have lived like and what we should live like, though we're incapable of doing it. Two miraculous births. One gave in to temptation. The second didn't. And so let's look at that next. They were both tempted by Satan. So they're both born miraculously, and they're both tempted by Satan. Their temptations had some similar flares and they had different outcomes. But, but also, as we look at Jesus being the true and better Adam, we need to consider the circumstances under these temptations. Adam was tempted where? In the garden, the Garden of Eden, where everything was luscious and beautiful. He needed nothing. He had perfect communion with God the Father. He had all the food, all the joy, all the lusciousness that he could ever desire. He was in a beautiful and perfect garden. And the serpent came in to the scene and tempted him to eat of a forbidden fruit. Adam was tempted at the foot of a living tree whose fruit produced death. He's in a beautiful, luscious garden, and he's tempted at the foot of a living tree. This tree was alive, and it had fruit, and it's the only prohibition that God gave Adam was to not eat of that fruit. And so he's standing there with all the fruit he could imagine around him, all the beauty that he could imagine around him, and one tree, one command that God had given Adam. That's it. One command for all of life. Can you imagine? The Old Testament has 613 commands after Adam's disobedience. He had one command, don't eat that fruit. You can eat all the other fruit except for that one. And yet he disobeyed. He ate of the forbidden fruit. Jesus, meanwhile, was tempted in a barren desert. If you remember the, the story of the Gospels, before, uh, right after Jesus' baptism, as his ministry is beginning, he goes out into a barren desert, into the wilderness, and he's fasting for 40 days. And he's tempted by who? Satan. So Adam, the first Adam, is tempted by Satan in a luscious garden with all the food and fresh water around them that his heart could desire. Jesus, the second Adam, he goes out into the wilderness, fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. It's a barren wasteland, a wilderness, a desert. Satan comes to him and he tempts him. He says, turn this rock into stone. What does Jesus do? He overcomes the temptation. He quotes scripture. Where the first Adam failed in amazing circumstances, he disobeyed. Jesus, the true and better second Adam, obeys in humble circumstances. Jesus was also tempted in a lonely garden. You remember this? The Garden of Gethsemane before his death. He's he's in the garden and he's feeling the weight of what is about to happen. He's he knows what's ahead, that he's going to go on the cross and bear the sin of humanity. And, And he's so overwhelmed by this reality that he's sweating drops of blood. Yet what does he say? He says, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, let it pass. I don't want to walk down the road of suffering that you've set for me. But yet, not my will be done, your will be done. Jesus is tempted to abandon God's plan, abandon God's path in that garden, in that lonely garden where his di- disciples fell asleep on him. He's in a lonely garden with the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders. And he says, not my will, but yours, Father. Father. And he walks to the cross on our behalf. Jesus was also tempted while hanging on a dead tree whose fruit produced life. If you remember, he's on the cross, a piece of wood, a dead tree. He's hanging on the cross and people are mocking him and saying, if he's truly the son of God, you would think that he could call down angels and they would rescue him. And he says, I could do that. And the criminal on the one side mocked him and said, if you're the son of God, why don't you save yourself and save us while you're at it? And the criminal on the other side said, remember me today in paradise. And what did Jesus do? He stayed on the cross. He was tempted on a dead tree, but he knew that that dead tree's fruit produced life. Adam's living tree produced death. Jesus' dead tree produced for us life. And so when they're both tempted... One obeys, one disobeys. That moves us into the next comparison here. Adam, the first Adam, he responded in disobedience. God had given him one command to follow. That's it. One single prohibition. I mean, that's a phrase that we use, right? You had one thing to do. Adam had one thing to do, and that was to not eat of the forbidden fruit. Anything else in all of creation was his to explore, to enjoy. And he had the perfect presence of God there with him. And yet he responds in disobedience. Jesus, in comparison, had little. He had nothing. He was lacking. And he responds in obedience. Why did Adam respond in disobedience? I think this is a question we have to wrestle with. Why did Adam respond in disobedience? This was before he had a sin nature. Remember, he ushered in a sin nature. We have a sin nature because we inherit it from Adam. He brought a curse and condemnation upon all of mankind. So why did Adam sin in the first place? I think we see this thread all throughout Scripture that the essence of sin is a lack of trust in God. And I think that's why Adam responded in disobedience and ate that fruit. God had given him everything Except for that one prohibition, and Adam had FOMO, fear of missing out, for those of you who don't know the acronym FOMO. <laughs> he had everything, and there was the one red button that said, do not push. And Adam thought, I am missing out. And, and Satan comes, the serpent comes, and he tempts Adam, and he says, well, why can't you have that one fruit? And, and Adam lacks trust in God. He starts to question, well, if God was really good, if God was really loving, why would he withhold that from me? He, he doubts God's intention and provision for him. He has FOMO. Maybe if I eat of that fruit, I'll experience something that I'm not already experiencing, which imagine what that could even be because he had everything at his disposal. Adam disobeyed the single commandment he was given – Jesus, meanwhile, he trusted God's goodness and provision. He was under much worse circumstances than the first Adam. And yet in that, he trusted God's goodness and provision. He said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. I will follow you and I will walk down the path that you've set out for me. Jesus obeyed the many commandments that resulted from Adam's disobedience. So Adam had one command to follow, he, he disobeyed, he didn't follow that one command, and we're all infected with sin as a result. Jesus, meanwhile, had many commands. As I said, the New Testament then has 613 commands coming out of sin now. God has given us these commands and these ways to follow, and Jesus fulfilled everyone. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, Old Testament law. He is the perfect righteousness, the perfect obedience that we could never be, that Adam gave up on, that Adam lost for us. Next comparison, and this is very tied into the text. Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brought justification. Look at verses 16 through 18. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. That's Adam. The judgment following that one trespass, that one prohibition that Adam stepped into infected all of mankind. And so when we wrestle with God's justice and God's goodness and we think, so-and-so is a good person but they don't believe in Jesus and I'm supposed to believe that they're condemned to hell? This is how serious original sin is. This is how serious our disobedience to God is. It infects all of us, even the small sins like taking a piece of fruit. That doesn't seem that harmful, does it? I mean, it's not, it's not murder, it's not genocide, it's not whatever you would put in as a, as a heinous, hideous sin. Adam's original disobedience in taking that fruit wasn't that, but it was worse. It was saying to God, I don't trust you. You've given me everything and more than I could ever dream of, and yet I have FOMO and I don't trust you. And so I'm going to listen to this serpent and I'm gonna take of this fruit. Second half of verse 16. For the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation. All of us condemned sinners by nature and choice. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Jesus brings then justification. That means to make us right. To make us new. Where there's condemnation in Adam, there's justification in Jesus. Where our sin nature is, we are sinners by both nature and choice, so we've inherited this sin nature from the first Adam, but we also sin, do we not? We talked about it this morning with child dedications. They, they grow up sinning, and parents, you know this. There's, disobedience happens pretty naturally with children, does it not? I mean, you tell them to go do something, and they look at you and they say no. You're like, where did you learn that? I didn't teach you to say no to me. I taught you to, I'm trying to teach you to say yes to me. We have inherited a sin nature from our first father, Adam. And we've also become sinners by choice. We choose to sin because we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners in Adam. But Jesus, the second Adam, the true and better Adam, brings justification. He brings rightness to what Adam, our first father, broke. He brings restoration to what Adam, our first father, destroyed. He renews in us and he's making new in us the image of God. He's restoring to us the fellowship that the first Adam had in the garden with God the Father before sin cast him out of the garden and he had to put on cloths to cover himself. Jesus comes to bring justification. Look at it as it goes on to say, verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, one trespass, Adam's fruit, led to condemnation for all of us, and we prove that by our sin. There's not a single person in this room, there's not a single person in the world who's lived without sin, outside of Jesus Christ, the new man, the other miraculously born being, figurehead of humanity. And so when we sin, we prove that this is true. That one trespass led to condemnation for all. We're condemned because of Adam and we're condemned because our acts prove that Adam condemned us. We are condemned. But so one act of righteousness... Jesus, the righteous one, the holy one, the sinless one, one act of righteousness. He had one decisive act going to the cross and staying on the cross, but he lived his entire life in righteousness. Jesus is the righteous one. And so it says that one act when he went to the cross, it it leads to justification and life for all men. Now, this isn't universalism because it says for those who are in him, this entire passage says the way that we receive new birth, second life, the way that we receive justification, the way that God looks at us and sees us as righteous and justified and made new is through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the one who brings us forgiveness of sins, the one who lifts the curse off of mankind and off of the earth. Romans chapter 8, a little bit further on, it tells us that the earth is crying out, it's groaning for the redemption, for the second coming of Christ. And so Jesus comes to to introduce to us justification and to show us what new life in Jesus Christ can look like, does look like, and ultimately will look like in the future. He lifts the reign of death and offers us the reign of life. He restores to us what Adam the first Adam, lost in his disobedience. And what we prove to be lost by our own disobedience, Jesus perfectly obeys. The last one here, it's not in the text, but I think we'll see it as we shift our focus to communion. Adam, the first Adam, broke communion. He was offered food that wasn't his. God had created this tree said, don't eat of that, the serpent came in and said, here, eat of this. Adam and Eve in disobedience took the fruit and ate it. They took food that wasn't theirs and ate it. In doing so, they broke our communion with God the Father. Jesus, he gave his body as food for us, symbolically giving us his body. I mean, it he, he wasn't symbolically giving his body. He actually gave us his body on the cross. But remember, as he had the last supper with his disciples, he broke the bread. He said, take, eat, this is my body given for you for the forgiveness of sins. He restores to us our communion with God the Father. Adam took what wasn't his, ate it, and broke our relationship and our communion Jesus gave what was his that we could be restored and renewed to Jesus, to God the Father, through Jesus the Son. First Adam, he was miraculously born. He was tempted by Satan. He responded in disobedience. He brought condemnation to all, and he broke our communion with God the Father. Jesus, the true and better Adam, the second Adam, he also was miraculously born. He was tempted by Satan. He responded to that temptation in obedience, perfect obedience, perfect righteousness. And he brings to us justification, making us right with God the Father, and he offers his body to us to restore our communion with the Father. And so this Christmas season, as you sing these songs, think about how Jesus the second Adam comes to reverse the curse. Though we still experience sin and sorrow, we have a Jesus, a king who is reigning and will come to reestablish his rule and reign and there will be no more sin for the curse will be cast out once and for all and Jesus will be worshiped for all eternity. Let's pray and then we're going to pass out the communion elements and take them as you receive them and as you hold it, let it symbolize and Symbolize for you and remind to you that Jesus gave of His body to reestablish and restore your fellowship, your communion with God the Father. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the elements are for you. If you haven't, we ask that you just pass and abstain, but you can trust in Him here and now and take communion for the first time, as one who's in Christ. There's two options for all of us. Either we stay in Adam. And we inherit the sin nature. We've all inherited the sin nature, but we stay in that. That's our standing before God. He sees us as sinners by nature and choice. We've inherited sin nature from Adam. We've proven that sin nature by our sin. We stay there. We stay in Adam. He is the federal head for all of humanity. Or we transfer families. We transfer kingdoms. And in Christ, we come over here And now we're in Jesus. Rather than being in Adam, we are now in Jesus. We are born again. We are born anew as he restores to us the life that Adam took. Let's pray and then as the elements come, take them as you're ready. Take them on your own and remember what Jesus has done for you on your behalf. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are, in fact, the true and better Adam that you lived the life that we can't, a righteous, a just, a holy, an obedient life. And you went to the cross that we deserved, a punishment for sinners. And in that, you reorder our lives. You give us a new family to be a part of. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us would be found in Christ rather than in Adam. I pray that you would remind us that in you we have new life. And as we sing, as we take communion, I pray that you would remind for us that we have new life in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.